Ladies, gentlemen, and the Technicolor rainbow in between, this is Recording Infinity. I am your host, Martheu Primo, or just call me Martheu, Mayor, or Primo, whatever you want. Um, a little backstory. I started this podcast as a means of, you know, I just wanted to start this podcast because I wanted to commit to something that's uniquely my own. And I thought about it for a long time, and I realized that making this podcast would be, making a podcast, really, would be a good way to start. And I thought about what I wanted to do for a podcast, and there were so many like topics to choose from. And I realized that if I wanted to do a podcast, I just wanted to make it my own. I didn't really care whether or not it became famous. I just wanted to do it just to do it. And... To make a long story short, here I am doing this podcast about reading stories. Stories, uh, short stories from horror, to historical, to even poetry. Anything that helps you relax and takes you to another world. That is what I will be reading. A lot of this are fan-made stories, nothing like super official. Um, from Reddit, from Wattpad, or any other source. Of course, I will be um, crediting any all the authors, um, and if any authors are listening are listening to these episodes and they don't want me to put them, then just shoot me a message and I'll just take it out and replace it with something else. But yeah, so since this is the month of spookiness, um, I will be doing more stories geared towards like fantasy and horror. And all the things that go bump in the night. Um, one other thing with what I will be doing is that uh, I'll just be giving my thoughts of each story once I finish them. Um, I should be doing like maybe two to three, three at the most uh, each episode. But I do hope that um, you guys find some relaxation and are able to be transported to a different world. So without further delay, let's get started with the very first story. It is from Reddit user Silent Satellites. Silent Satellites. It is a fantasy story off of the Reddit short stories, and it is called Strides in the Darkness. The hooded figure traced his hands along the cold stone walls as he walked through the desolate hallway. Nothing moved in these halls. No living soul would dare set foot inside the temple as walking, not man or beast. The air felt stale as he breathed it. He could almost taste the centuries that have gone by since life had been allowed to pass through here. He tasted melancholy, almost as if the temple itself was mourning as to what had come. His fingers gently caressed the intricate details carved into the stone walls as he continued forward through the unnatural darkness that surrounded him. He never cared for the priestesses of Yashara. They were foolish like all the others, believing that the forces they worship were superior to the true powers that controlled this world. However, even he had to admit, the detail in the craftsmanship was something that they had earned the right to be arrogant about. Every inch of the stone walls he walked past was carved and in some form of devotion to their false idol. 
great scenes depicting the goddess in many forms, but more often than not, it was of her wrath to the non-believer, slaying grotesque demons with a flaming sword, ripping unnatural limbs from unnatural bodies, and even one mural depicting devout worshippers on their knees, cutting their own throats to ease her. All of this was finally carved into the stone as a painter may use oils on a canvas. And yet, even as time has ravaged these halls, not a single chip or crack could be felt under his hand in the stonework. They were as perfect as the day they had been carved. His staff made seldom thuds against the hard floor, breaking the lonely silence as the sound echoed throughout the chambers. The stone tiles were int as intricately carved as the walls as he passed. He could feel the ancient writings of his prayers and the holy symbols beneath the soles of his feet. Pointless, all of it. The potential of their craft was squandered on their ludicrous beliefs that there could be a power greater than the one he serves. The large tome attached to his waist began to slightly sway in the absence of a breeze, with the leather straps that attached it to his waist creaking softly, almost as if, as if pleased with his thoughts on the matter. He gently placed his free hand on top of the book as if to calm a savage beast by his side. He felt the rough, dark leather that was stretched over the cover and caressed it ever so slightly. This brought back memories when his master had gifted him gifted him the tome, but that was a lifetime ago, maybe even several. Nevertheless, he had more important task at hand, and he could not lose focus reminiscing on the past. The spirits that were present here began to follow him as soon as he set foot inside the temple. Any normal mortal would have instantly been lost in the harmony of chaotic whispers and shadows that called out to him. They swirled around him, causing the unnatural darkness that even he couldn't see through. And yet, this is all they could manage. The voices taunted him to turn back, or to take an obscure pathway that would trap him forever in this maze of corridors and twisted hallways. He shrugged off the voices and continued forward, annoyed at the spirits to think that they could try and stop him. He didn't need his eyes to know which turn to take, his master knew the way, and that is all that mattered. Another hour or so passed until he arrived at his destination. Turning the final corner, he sensed the large double stone door that led to the center of the temple. How the priestess managed to move these stone slabs to this location puzzled him. Sixty feet high and completely devoid of any of the previous detailed carvings, the door stood as an ominous guard to the inner chamber. He approached and placed a single hand against the smooth, smooth stone. Feeling the magical energies that surrounded the doors, he could sense a vast number of seals and wards that had been placed here to prevent anyone from entering the chamber. One by one, he began to tear down these wards. No fineness was required here. Spirits already knew of his presence, and taking the time of delic to delicately unravel the next work of seals would be pointless. Besides, the dead needed to know how futile their efforts were to try and stop him. Instead, he merely surged his own power into the wards, overloading them and causing the magical energies to burst under the sheer pressure. All at once, those following him immediately reacted to this perverse invasion and began to converge on the intruder. They swirled around them, howling curses and trying to infiltrate his psyche. A thousand voices instantly attempted to force themselves into his mind, but he paid them no mind. 
simply focused at the task at hand. These simple creatures, these priestesses who gave their lives in service to Yashara, were too insignificant to have any effect on him. Shh. A single word under his breath as he tore apart the final seal. The spirit screamed once more, as if the hooded figure was ripping apart the remaining fragments of their own lost souls. With a simple gesture of his hand, he opened the doors to the inner chamber, and all at once, the shrieking stopped. Instead, the wailing chorus was replaced with the sound of the stone doors grinding open. Doors that had not moved since the day they were closed by the priestesses all those centuries ago. A chill air escaped the inner chamber and flooded the entranceway, an unnatural cold that seeped into the marrow of his bones. He gently flexed his shoulders, removing the stiffness that had suddenly come on him and continued forward. He, had suddenly pierced the, he suddenly pierced the veil, the darkness that shrouded him as he walked through the doors. As he walked, he glanced over his shoulder to observe the spirits that followed him. A black fog, black fog stopped at the entrance to the inner chamber as if blocked by an invisible wall. It came in waves like the sh it came in waves like the shore of an ocean trying to creep its way up the coastline obviously the spirits did not dare to enter the chamber perhaps out of respect for what lay within or fear he turned back to his prize and for the first time took it in the interior of the temple the inner chamber was a vast circular room with a center sunken into the ground stairs leading down into the pit descended four levels each one 20 feet wide and 40 feet high till finally reaching the lowest point in the chamber. He descended downwards into the crater, observing what lay within. Numerous offerings to the goddess were scattered around on each of the levels heading down. Piled high was enough gold and jewels to attempt to tempt even the humblest of kings to raid this foreign land. The stale scent of rare herbs and oils contained in stone jars wafted through, wafted through the air. The great bolts of cloth woven from the finest silk were tossed on top of the piles like they were common rags. Of all the offerings present, it was what was left at the lowest level that caught his eye. Bone. The skeletal remains, what he had assumed were the final priestess of Yashara, were scattered across the chamber floor. Some still had their sacrificial blades pierced between their ribs or punctured through their skulls. They circled the great, greatest treasure which lay at the heart of the temple. A single giant stone slab laying horizontal on the floor, the tome of Yashara herself. As he passed the first level of offerings, a sound pierced the silence like a thousand voices crying out in pain. How dare you, servant of the king behind the veil, step foot inside the holy chamber of the eternal mother. Cease this heresy at once. Ah, uh, so you do know who I am. He spoke in a calm tone, as if he were merely chatting with a stranger he met on his journey. He continued down the steps without pause. Whispers of your master are spoken behind shadows of his sacrilege and his... The spirits paused for a moment, as if trying to find the best word to bite at the intruder. Puppets. The man was amused at this obvious attempt to provoke a response from him. It proved how afraid the priestesses were of his actions here. Then you know I cannot stop. Rest easy, priestesses. 
Your eternal servitude to your false shepherd is almost over. Blasphemy! The spirits roared in defiance. They swirled and thrashed against the entranceway of the inner chamber, yet still they remained behind the threshold of the door. We know what you seek, Defiler. Your plan to taint the blade of Yashara with your presence will be for naught. Only the truly rightful can wield such a relic. Besides, what use does the king behind the veil have for a weapon that can only conquer the living? As he passed the second level, with coins and gems scattering down the stairwell as he walked, he finally caught a glimpse as to what the spirits referred to. Laying atop of the tomb sat a large greatsword, finely engraved with holy writings along the entire length. The blade looked as ominous as it did deadly. It was said the Ashara met the king of the Tuanin Empire on the battlefield with his 40,000 soldiers. She simply struck the blade onto the earth and spoke aloud the words engraved on her blade. With that, the king fell to his knees and wept, fielding allegiance to the one true god, a blade that in the right hands could conquer any land in the realm if they could wield it. Yashara stood a head above even the tallest of men and would decapitate a heretic with a single swipe of one arm while ripping the remaining limbs off with the other. The purpose of a true king is not only to rule, but to conquer. Even your goddess should be able to appreciate that. Besides, it has been centuries since he walked in the realm of the living. His return is imminent, and as a lowly servant, what else can I do but make sure that he receives a warm welcome? Impossible! Even the Eternal Mother could not return. Your Eternal Mother is a whelp compared to a true being of power. His returning from the realm of death will be his greatest achievement. He began to pity the, these lost souls. How could they not understand? These spirits would surely be able to feel his presence even if they remained on the other side of the veil. And yet, they still refuse to acknowledge his sovereignty. You simply do not understand. He is not just some common lich with a tattered soul stuck in some long-forgotten phylactery. He is the true master of life and death. He is a god, and he will rise again. That is an inevitable fate that both the dead and the living must face sooner or later. We will not let you leave, Yashara, be our witness. The spirits of the priestesses swarmed around the entrance to the inner chamber in defiance to the intruder's remarks. We are the priestesses of the one true god. Even in death, we have pledged our service to the Eternal Mother, sworn to uphold her law and protect her temple. You, Defiler, and servant of her enemy, will face her judgment through us. The man stopped at the final set of stairs leading down to the tomb. Gently leaning on his staff, he observed the slab of stone below him, with the sword on top. Even in this lightless room, it was still somehow managed to give off a faint shine in the darkness, as if the light contained within the blade was to spontaneously combust at any moment. The purpose of a true king is not only to rule, but to conquer. The man spoke these words again softly to himself. He knew his place in the great cycle of things to come. The events that will follow are inevitable, 
as the stars shining in the night sky. He himself is proof of his master's wisdom and power. How long had he been in his service? He was ashamed to admit it, but even he only had fragments of memories from those times when his sire walked the realm of the living, when he had bound his mortal soul to the remains in this realm to do his bidding. He raised his staff, pulling it back as if he was striking an invisible enemy in front of him. He began conjuring up dark tendrils of energy that swirled around his presence, focusing it all to bend around the tip of his staff. Like a lightning rod, he would use this to focus the energy into a single point and unleash it with a devastating effect. The priestesses began to react to his actions. They shrieked at him once more, spitting curses and howling at the man. I may be a puppet, the man spoke as he concentrated on his spell, cast calling even more power from within. A stale, frigid air began to swirl around him, lifting loose coins and other trinkets which were tossed around the pit. As the wind picked up, his hood flicked back to reveal the Black Skull, which all that remained of the warlock, Malachi. His flesh had rotted away centuries ago, and still he walked the earth, forever in service to the king behind the veil. In truth, he didn't even know if the soul within his body was the same one that pledged his services to his master, or one that was used to perform the ritual to bind his soul to his bones. It did not matter. The only thing of importance now is the task at hand. Yet at least I acknowledge my strings, he roared in defiance at the spirits that tried to stop him. Unleashing the magical energies, he conjured a bolt of jet black lightning that flew across the room onto the tomb. An immense cracking boom could be felt as if the stone slab erupted in, flying, in a flying mess of debris. Dust that had not been disturbed for centuries was lifted into the air and set soaring into the air in great plumes. Shards of stone were thrust into offerings on the upper levels, which came tumbling down like a waterfall of glittering gold. The remains of the priestesses that were scattered around the tomb were instantly vaporized as time had left the bones brittle and weak. Any that were too close to the epicenter of the explosion joined the clouds of dust forming above. As the dust settled, Malachi continued forward, he paused and looked down at his feet as something glistening caught his eye. A shard of the blade of Yashara had fallen in front of him. Even in all this rubble, the piece still somehow shined. Up close, he could finally read what the goddess had engraved into the sword when she had forged it, which could conquer kings and sway empires. He scoffed and took a step over the fragment and continued down the steps. Blades dull, words are forgotten. Things of this nature are useless to those who take in the larger picture of the universe. The spirits were quiet now. With the remains taking such an attack, the lost souls would have either been destroyed with the remnants of their body, or found themselves too weak to materialize. The pieces of bone that remained crunched underneath his footsteps as he walked through the final layer of offerings. Approaching the center, he peered down the hole he had just created and observed his true prize. Gently wrapped in strips of decayed linen were the remains of the Eternal Mother, Yashara. The bones of the giantess were still intact, suffering no damage from the attack he had just unleashed. Observing his prize, Malachi knew he had chosen correctly. God or not, the creature that was Yashara was clearly powerful, 
and one that would make an excellent addition to his master's army. With a gesture from his free hand, the tome attached to his waist unclasped itself in the leather straps and gently floated into the palm of his hand, already open and fluttering through the pages to the required spell he needed to cast. As it touched his bones, he could feel the surge of power flowing through his body. He looked down and read the spell which lay before him, long-lost spells that were written during a darker age, which, if tried to be cast nowadays, condemn any wizard or sorcerer to death for crimes against the natural balance of the realm. He began chanting the words and felt black bile rise in his throat that was not there. The language had long since been forgotten from a civilization that had long since gone extinct. The syllables came out in a guttural sputter, sending vibrations throughout the chamber. He grew dark, unnatural he drew dark, unnatural energies from within himself and around him and poured them into the bones that lay before him, twisting and reforming the remaining shreds of soul into something else, something new. The bones began to float off the ground, slowly forming itself back into their old positions, as an unnatural life was involuntarily forced inside. With final words spoken, the bones collapsed to the bottom of the tomb, as silence returned to the inner chambers once again. Malachi leaned on his staff, exhausted from the task he had just undertaken. If he had still lungs, they would surely be screaming for air. He waited and listened until a faint scratching heard from down below. A large skeletal hand reached up, grabbing the side of the tomb, heaving itself up. The former goddess, Yashara, took her first steps inside the temple in over a century. She looked down at her hands at what she had become, and turned and peered at the thing that had called her back from behind the veil. He stood there, leaning on his staff, like an old man who had overexerted himself. He gestured his head to her left at an object that lay underneath the rubble of stone and gold. She moved in that direction, stretching arms and legs that had not moved in an age. Her bones creaked and splinted as they shifted from their newfound weight of pressure and stress from moving, which quickly mended themselves back into their complete form. The spell would take time, but it would eventually fix everything into its proper place. She knelt and brushed away fragments of stone from the tile that the stranger had gestured to. Underneath, something glistened in the darkness. She reached down and pulled the remnants of a broken greatsword. The blade was snapped in half, but enough remained to deal a lethal amount of damage to whoever found themselves facing the other end. She rose to full height, testing the weight of the blade in her hand, and looked at the stranger. Malachi nodded, approving of his handiwork. Reattaching his tomb back onto his waist, he turned and began to ascend the stairs, with Yashara falling behind. Pieces were falling, to falling into place. There were still preparations that had to be taken, of course, but they all came together. They will all come together sooner or later. By the time he reached the top of the stairs, he had regained most of his strength and continued forward, as he ever did, in service to the one true master, to the king behind the veil. And that 
was the story Strides in the Darkness, once again created by Silent Satellites on the subreddit Short Stories. I will say that this story actually reminds me of an old uh, computer game that I used to play. I don't know if anybody played it before. It's called Adventure Quest Worlds. They had a storyline similar to this. Um, so it was, it felt kind of nostalgic to read something like this again, read something like this. Really brought me back to my younger, younger days as a elementary school, middle schooler. Um, as a first story, this was pretty good and pretty on theme to what October was about. Necromancy and bringing people back from the dead and the cursed spirits, tortured spirits and stuff like that. May not have been too scary, but the imagery. We'll applaud you, Silence Satellites, for your imagery of the spirits. I really like the dialogue they had. Now for a bit of a shorter story, but this one, apparently, is a horror story. Again, off of the subreddit short stories, by user Ardent Raven. Ardent Raven. It is a horror story, and it is called Timmy's Dream. Once again, a horror story by Ardent Raven. The title, Timmy's Dream. How I became acquainted with young Timothy Preston is from a most unfor unfortunate circumstances. A bright and happy boy at the age of four, Timothy was as energetic and fun-loving as any other growing child. During the day, you could see him splashing around in a puddle, fussing with his mother about the need to put on a sweater or running around the house with muddy soles, always making such a ruckus. By day, he was a playful, charming little boy. When the sun set, young Timothy buttoned right up. He would become uncharacteristically quiet. And when it came time for bed, he would happily go to his room to be tucked in by his mother. Mother? Mommy? asked this particular night. Are monsters real? No, honey. Monsters aren't real. Sometimes there's, there's a monster in my dream. He wants to be friends. He's a little boy, just like Pinocchio. You do all kinds of fun things. His mother smiled. That's so nice of him. She kissed him on the forehead and began walking to the door. Remember, you're always safe here, baby. Door closed, blanketing the room in a midnight blue. With the dim light coming from a small table lamp in the corner of the room, Timothy turned to go sleep. It was then that I decided to make my move. I slipped out from underneath his bed and got real close to his face. The little angel was already trying to sleep. Hey, buddy, it's me. Timothy opened up his eyes with a face showing no surprise. Am I dreaming already? He innocently asked. Yes, Timothy. You are dreaming. I couldn't help but to smile. And I have plans for tonight. We are going to have so much fun. I don't feel like I'm dreaming. Timothy's face scrunched up as he brought his hand up to rub his nose. That's when we can have the most fun. 
I will be right back. I went down under his bed and grabbed a kitchen fork for my new friend. Here, take this. A fork? Timothy asked quizzically. Always such a curious little guy. Why can't we fly again like last night? Or save another princess from a bad guy's castle? Oh, but this is going to be such so much more fun. You have to trust me, Timothy. Now get out of bed and go on up to your nightlight. Be very quiet. Part of the fun is to not get caught. Timothy slid out of his, slid out of his bed very quietly like the good obedient boy he is and crept up to the low light of the table lamp. Okay, Timothy, see that spot right under the plug for your nightlight? Little slits in the wall, nodded his little head. I want you to take this fork and jam it right in there. If you think hard enough, your fork will go through the wall and into the most delicious chocolate cake you have ever tasted. I shivered with excitement as his eyes lit up in anticipation, just as he was about to be lit up himself. For months, I had been watching. I had been entering his dreams every night, learning more about him, learning his likes and dislikes. He loves chocolate cake. Learning his routines, gaining his trust. It was finally time to bring him back home with me to keep him forever. Timothy reared his hand back and closed his eyes. You really gotta jam it in there, T Timothy. My voice trembling for the moment to come. He closed his eyes and plunged the fork forward. My wide smile quickly disappeared when I realized he missed his target. Closing his eyes, he went up too far and got his arm caught up in the lamp plug, sending it flying off the table with a loud crash. For a moment, I was furious. He had ruined my plan. Tonight had been the night, but I couldn't let this be the end. No, it's far from over. His mother came running into the room not 20 seconds later. Timmy, are you okay? She turned on the light to see the broken lamp and her son sitting in front of the wall with a fork. What on earth are you doing? I was dreaming, Mommy. Oh, sweetie, come back to bed. Here. She picked him up and laid him back down in his bed, taking the fork out of his hand. I'll clean up the glass. Don't move a muscle, mister. As she headed toward the door, she then spotted me on the floor. She stopped. Timmy picked me up. Maybe Pinocchio will keep you safe tonight, and placed me gently beside him on the bed, my permanent smiling gaze fixed on his over-tired little face. Another night, Timmy. Another night. I gotta tell you, that, that was, wow, that was... Like Pinocchio on, on horror juice, cheese. That was definitely a lot of. Whoever, Ardent Raven. You really, it was a short story to be sure, but seriously, that was definitely dark. I I will say that's very thematic for the, for the month of October, but jeez, man, super dark.
This last story comes from, again, Tumblr. Um, it was originally posted by Writing Prompts and then expanded on by Sado Euphemist and then also expanded on by Sierra Siranon and then finally Stewpot. Doesn't really have a title, but I'm going to title it The God of Arepo, as you will soon see. Right, so it starts off like this. Writing Pons gives out a prompt. Temples are built for gods. Knowing this, our farmer builds a small temple to see what kind of god turns up. Arepo built the temple in his field. A humble thing, some stones stacked up to make a cairn, and two days later, a god moved in. Hope you're a harvest god, Arepo said, and set up an altar and burned two stalks of wheat. It'd be nice, you know, he looked down at the ash smeared on the stone. The rocks all laid askew and coughed and scratched. He coughed and scratched his head. I know it's not much, he said, straw hat in his hands, but I'll do what I can. It'll be nice to think there's a god looking after me. The next day, he left a pair of figs. The day after that, he spent ten minutes of his morning seated by the temple in prayer. On the third day, the god spoke up. You should go to a temple in the city, the god said. His voice was like the rustling of the wheat, with the squeaks of field mice running through the grass. A real temple, a good one. Get some real gods to bless you. I'm no one much myself, but I might be able to put in a good word. He plucked a leaf from a tree inside. I mean, not to be rude. I like this temple. It's cozy enough. The worship's been nice. But you can't honestly believe that any of this is going to bring you anything. This is more than any, more than I was expecting when I built it, Rappa said, laying down his scythe and lowering himself to the ground. Tell me, what sort of god are you anyway? I am of the fallen leaves, it said, the worms that churn beneath the earth, the boundary of forest and the field, the first hint of frost before the first snow falls, the skin of an apple as it yields beneath your teeth. I am a god of a dozen different nothings, scraps that lead to rot, momentary glimpses, a change in the air, and then it's gone. The god heaved another sigh. There's no point in words like that. Not like war, or the harvest, or the storm. Save your prayers for the things that matter beyond your control, good farmer. You're so tiny in the world, so vulnerable. Best to pray to a greater thing than me. Arepo plucked a stalk of wheat and flattened it between his teeth. I like this sort of worship fine, he said. But if you don't mind, I think I'll continue. Do what you will, said the god, and withdrew deeper into the stones. But don't say I never warned you otherwise. Arepo would say a prayer before the morning's work, and he and the god contemplated the trees in silence. Days passed like that, and weeks, and then the storm rolled in, black and bold and blustering. It flooded Arepo's fields, shook the tiles from his roof, smote his olive tree, and set it to cinder. The next day, Arepo and his sons 
walked among the wheat, salvaging what they could. A little temple had been strewn across the field, and so, when the work was done for the day, Arapo gathered the stones and pieced them back together. Useless work, the god whispered, came creeping back inside the temple regardless. There wasn't a thing I could do to spare you this. We'll be fine, Arapo said. The storm has blown over. We'll rebuild. Don't have much of an offering for today, he said, and laid down some ruined wheat. But I think I'll shore up this thing's foundations tomorrow. How about that? The god rattled around in the temple inside. A year passed, and then another. The temple had layered walls of stone, a ro roof of woven twigs. Arepo's neighbors chuckled as they passed it. Some of their children left fruit and flowers, and then the harvest failed. The gods withdrew their bounty. In Arepo's field, the wheat sprouted thin and brittle. People wailed and tore their robes, slaughtered lambs and spilled their blood, looked upon the ground with haunted eyes and went to bed hungry. Arepo came and sat by the temple. Flowers wilted now, fruit shriveled nubs. Arepo's ribs showing through his chest, his hands still shaking and murmuring out a prayer. There is nothing here, said the god, huddled in the dark. There is nothing I can do. There is nothing to be done, and shivered and spat out its words. What is this temple but another burden to you? We, Arepo said, his voice wavered. Though it's lean here, he said, we've gone through this before, we'll get through this again. Though we're hungry, he said, we still got each other, don't we? And a lot of people pray to other gods, but it didn't protect them from this. No. He said and shook his head and laid down some shriveled weeds on the altar. No, I think I like our, our arrangement fine. There will come worse, said the god from the hollows of the stone and there will be nothing I can do to save you. The years passed. Arepo rested a wrinkled hand upon the Temple of Stone, and some days spent an hour there, lost in contemplation with the god. And one fateful day, from across the wine-dark seas, came war. Arepo came, stumbling to his temple now, his hand pressed against his gut anointing the holy site with his blood. Behind him, his wheat fields burned. The bo his bones burned black. He came crawling on his knees to a temple of huge stone, and the god rushed out to meet him. I could not save them, said the god, his voice a low wail. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. The leaves fell, burning from the trees, a soft, slow rain of ash. I have done nothing all these years, and I have done nothing for you. Shush, Arepo said, tasting his own blood, his vision blurring. He propped himself up against the temple, forehead pressed against the stone in prayer. Tell me, he mumbled. Tell me again. What sort of god are you? I, said the god, reaching out, cradling Arepo's head, and closed its eyes and spoke. 
I am of the fallen leaves, it said and conjured up the image of them, the worms that churn beneath the earth, the boundary of forest and of field, the first hint of frost before the first snow falls, the skin of an apple as it yields beneath your teeth. Arepo's lips parted in a smile. I am the god of a dozen different nothings, it said, the petals in bloom that lead to rot. The momentary glimpses, the change in the air, its voice broke and it wept before it's gone. The fool, Arepo said, blood stinging the stones seeping into the earth. All of them, they were all so beautiful. And as the fields burned and the smoke blotted out the sun, as men were trodden in the press and bloody war raged on, as the heavens let loose their wrath upon the earth, Arepo the sore laid down in his humble temple, his head sheltered by the stones, and returned home to his god. Sora found the temple, with the bones within it, the roof falling in upon them. Oh, poor god, she said, with no one to bury your last priest. Then she paused, because she was from far away. Or is this how the dead are honored here? The god roused from its contemplation. His name was Arepo, it said. He was a sower. Sower. He was a sower. Sora startled a little, because she had never before heard the voice of a god. How can I honor him? she asked. Bury him beneath my altar. All right, Sora said, and went to fetch her shovel. Wait, the god said, and she got back and began collecting the bones from among the broken twigs and fallen leaves. She laid them out on a roll of undyed wool, the only cloth she had. Wait, the god said, I cannot do anything for you. I am not a god of anything useful. Sora sat back on her heels and looked at the altar to listen to the god. And the storm came and destroyed his wheat. They could not save it, the god said. When the harvest failed and he was hungry, I could not feed him. When war came, when war came, I could not protect him. He came bleeding from the battle to die in my arms. Thor looked down again at the bones. I think you are the god of something very useful, she said. What? the god asked. Thor carefully lifted the skull onto the cloth. You are the god of Arepo. Generations passed. The village recovered from its tragedies. Homes rebuilt. Gardens replanted. Wounds healed. The old man who had once lived on the hill and spoke to stone and rubble had long since been forgotten. But the temple stood in his name. Most believed it to be empty as the god who resided there long ago had fallen silent. Yet any who passed the decaying shrine felt an ache in their hearts, as though mourning for a lost friend. The cold that seeped from the temple entrance laid their spirits low and warded off any potential visitors, save for the rare and especially oblivious children who would leave tiny clusters of pink and white flowers that they picked from the surrounding meadow. The gods sat in his peaceful home, staring out at the distant road, the pedestrians, workhorses, and carriages. 
raining leaves that swirled around his bustling feet. How long had it been? The world had progressed without him, for he knew there was no help to be given. The world must be a cruel place that even the useful gods have abandoned. If farms can flood, harvests can run barren, and homes can burn, he thought. He had come to understand that humans are senseless creatures, who would pray to a god that cannot grant wishes, or bless upon them good fortune, who would maintain a temple and bring offerings with nothing in return, who would share their company and meditate with such with a such fruitless deity, who would bury a stranger without the hope for profit. What bizarre, futile kindness they had wasted on him. What wonderful, foolish, virtuous, hopeless creatures humans were. So he painted the sunset with yellow leaves, enticed the worms to dance in their soil, flourished the boundary between forest and field with blossoms and berries, christened the air with biting coal before winter came, ripened the apples with crisp red freckles to break under skinking teeth, and a dozen other nothings, in memory of the man who once praised the god's work, his dying breath. Hello, god of every humble beauty in the world, called a familiar voice. The squinting corner, the god's eyes wept downwards into a curled lips. Repo, he whispered, for his voice was hoarse from its hundred-year mutism. I am the god of devotion, of small kindnesses, of unbreakable bonds. I am the god of selfless, unconditional love, of everlasting friendships and trust, Arepo avowed, soothing the other with every word. That's wonderful, he responded between tears. I'm so happy for you. Such a powerful figure will certainly need a grand temple. Will you leave to the city to gather more worshippers? You'll be adored by all. No, Arepo smiled. Farther than that? To the capital, then? Thank you for visiting here before your departure. No, I will not go there either. Arepo shook his head and chuckled. Are there still? What ambitious goals you must have. There is no doubt in my mind that you will succeed, though, the Elder God continued. Actually, interrupted Arepo, I'd like to stay here, if you'll have me. The Elder God was struck speechless. Why? Why would you want to live here? I am the God of unbreakable bonds and everlasting friendships. And you are the God of Arepo. And that's the end of the story of the God of Arepo. I found this post many years ago, and I was always so amazed at the imagery of the storytelling of this. And then I forgot. But then after starting this podcast, I found it again, and I figured that this would be a great story to put into my first episode. So I hope that this has been an entertaining uh, near 50 minutes, almost. We've heard stories of fantasy, we've heard a horror story, and we heard a very wholesome story. I wish you all the best.
and I hope that you've learned something from these stories, or were entertained, or at the very least, transported to a new world. This has been episode one of Recording Infinity.